two very short readings this morning. The first in Romans chapter 8, the first four verses. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did send God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Those who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And then we're going to go across to Galatians, just a few pages further. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read from chapter 5, verse 22, to chapter 6 and verse 6. Galatians 5, 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted." Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Father God, we invite you to come and speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit. We know that you're here, we know that you're present. And we ask you to speak to our hearts, Lord, practical little section of Galatians. Help us see how this gospel works out in relationships in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So really we're going to start with a little, a little recap. <coughs> Excuse me. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. It's just fantastic truth. You need to go home and, and say that to yourself. Or, or maybe, um, I don't know, husbands and wives... You know, kind of over the lunch table, when you get up in the morning. It's for freedom um, that Christ has has set you free. But uh, freedom from what? Well, as was really clear in that passage Rob read to us from Romans, freedom from condemnation. There is now no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So today, if you trust in Christ, if you're a Christian, then in God's eyes, if you were to stand before the throne of Christ, and if God forbid... You were, you were to be in something like happened in the week and you were taken uh, in ways that you least expected and you died and went before the Lord. If you're trusting the Lord, then there is now no condemnation. 
because of your trust in Christ. So in reality, <clears throat> in the ultimate reality, which is before the throne of God, uh, there is no condemnation. So therefore, there should be no condemnation in your conscience. Why would you walk around with a, uh, with a guilty conscience uh, when, when God ha- has forgiven you? But further than that, and what we've been seeing uh, out of the book of, uh, of Galatians, there should be no condemnation in your motivation. Condemnation is not part of your drive uh, to be more like Christ. And if we were to carry on that passage from, from Romans, just to look at it a moment, <coughs> we find that the law is powerless to justify. Uh, Paul says what the law was powerless to do, God did. Why was the law powerless? What made it powerless? Well, you did. And I did. What makes the law powerless is us. Uh, our law is no good because we don't have the power um, to, ob- to obey a law. So there's no good in getting right with uh, God. But what is good, what, the only thing that is good, is that God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. I trust you know all about that. That Christ came as a human being in real human flesh and laid down his life as a, as a sin offering. So it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Freedom from condemnation in God's eyes, in your conscience, in your motivation. So Paul exhorts us, he says, don't lose your freedom. But he also tells us, don't abuse your freedom. He still expects a certain quality of living. Isn't that one of those intriguing things? And one of those things you have to get your head around about the book. Paul says, we're not under law anymore. And then he says, but on the other hand, you should do this. So how do we follow Paul's ethical commands? How do we get better? How do we get more like Christ? How do we get holier? What is going to drive us in the Christian life if it's not law, if it's not the sense of failure and uh, guilt, that nagging sense of guilt that we're not good enough and a fear of punishment? What is going to drive us on? And, And actually law is, you know, that sense of guilt can be quite a powerful thing. And you might find it quite helpful in, in overcoming your weakness. But, but what is going to drive us if it's not law? And God's intention is, is that love, a knowledge of his love will drive you on. And doesn't it just even me sounding that, saying that now, doesn't that sound awfully wishy-washy? <laughs> that a kind of sense of love will drive you on. But, but Paul says that God has poured out into your hearts his love through the Holy Spirit who's, who's been given to you. God has poured out his love in, into your heart. There has to be a, a, a knowledge there uh, of God's love. So it's that knowledge of love communicated by the Holy Spirit that drives us. And then that, uh, the Holy Spirit kind of follows that up, as it were, with that quiet, persistent um, leading, that quiet kind of poking at you, your, your conscience just to, uh, to keep you moving forward, to keep reminding you of the love of God. And sometimes it just seems really weak, even as I say it out loud. You know, you, you kind of think, well, is that not too weak a thing? It's only too weak a thing if we don't know God's love very well. I think that's the answer. It's the thing God has intended to drive you. And I think to take a strictly 
um, strictly illustration. I don't know why they keep coming back to strictly, but it's kind of because. Uh, can you put your hand up if if, stri- if strictly illustrations completely pass you by? You've got absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, well we're on to a winner then. In the general, apologies, apologies to, to those who don't. But imagine you were kind of you were in Strictly, and you have a professional dancer who, who's leading, who's teaching the, you the steps. They take the lead in all the dances, and you just keep you doing your own thing, you know. And they're trying to lead you off into a waltz, and you're kind of trying to do a jive over here. It's just, um, you know, what are they what are they going to do in the end? I mean, I think they're going to storm off, aren't they? You know, kind of just depending on their on their temperament. But but sooner or later, they're going to get, you know, miffed. Well, do you know the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you, isn't he? He's trying to lead you in godly living, and he's trying to lead you in love. And do you know what happens when you don't listen? He just gently withdraws. He doesn't go off in a strop, but he just gently withdraws. So I think that's one of the reasons that this... The knowledge of God's love seems kind of sometimes too weak a power. It's because we've just not actually been walking with him. Or we've just not looked clearly and persistently long enough and thought about the implications of the cross. You remember back in Exodus, where we finished was that when we look upon the glory of God in the face of Christ, and then we're changed from, from glory into glory. So if it seems too weak a thing, we've either not spent the time looking at the glory of God or we're, actually spending, or we're not actually walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Because where, where is the Spirit leading? Well, this is really interesting, uh, and we find it in, in today's passage. Where does the Spirit want to lead you? Let us not become conceited. That's an interesting word, isn't it? Provoking and envying each other. The Holy Spirit is trying to lead you away from conceit. And conceit is a, a very interesting word. And actually, in the original, it, it's made of two words about empty glory. Empty glory. And actually, we have an English word then that reflects that, which we call vainglory. Or quite often, we use the, the adjective vainglorious. Uh, and what does that mean? Somebody uh, who's vainglorious is, is kind of ascribing to themselves a uh, glory that they don't have. It's a kind of empty glory. And that's what Paul means by... Um, this word conceited. He's, he's talking about vainglory. One uh, dictionary says that the Greek word means a false or a fake feeling of self respect and personal worth. A false or a fake feeling of self respect and personal worth. So Paul says, don't become vainglorious people puffing yourself up with a glory that you've invented by yourself. Because we don't need, we don't need fake glory. We're, we've been told, the gospel tells us that we're morally contemptible people. We're failures who are nevertheless loved by God and, and adopted into his, into his family. Bad news and good news in the gospel, we're worse than we ever imagined, we're more loved than we could ever have believed. Don't need this fake glory. So when we're persuaded, um, or if we're not persuaded by the gospel, then this kind of glory hunger drives us to kind of prove ourselves, prove our worth to, uh, to ourselves and to other people, become fixated on comparing ourselves with others. So when we have vainglory, if the gospel hasn't really taken root, then when we feel better than another, we get all puffed up because we've forgotten the gospel. 
or when we feel another inferior to another, we feel devastated and, uh, and put down. So this glory hunger drives us in one direction or another. I think this is really interesting. Uh, indebted to Tim Keller uh, for this observation. Paul says, don't become conceited, don't become vainglorious, provoking and envying one another. And I think you can have both in the same person, but they tend to go one way or another. Um, provoking is a, is a Greek word which, which sort of implies summoning another person to a, to a contest. Um, do you know those kind of people? Kind of like every conversation, there seems to be some kind of contest in it, or just sort of come to need to prove a kind of knowledge or influence or, or whatever it might be. Or envying is, is the opposite response. A, a, a spiteful or a resentful response to another person's success or, or well-being. So they are the active and the passive responses to glory hunger. Provoking is trying to prove a superiority. Envying is a longing born out of inferiority. But both responses come out of not really grasping the gospel. Because both are self-centred. They're looking primarily at self in comparison to other people. So both aim at self-worth by competition. And so both actually are a return to self-justification. Can you see that? We come full circle because... People are not justified by faith. They come all the way around and are trying to justify themselves in their own eyes, maybe in God's eyes, by trying to prove themselves superior or by envying those who are. And the only difference is then, I think, is one feels that they're winning and the other feels that they're losing. Two forms of just self-justification, but one, uh, the provoker feels like he's winning the envier feels like they're losing. <clears throat> so which are you? Okay, and after this, we'll take a stand, we'll take a stand up. I think you should catch a drink. Um, we should open the doors and, and waft yourself a bit. Okay, so which are you? Do you blow up or do you clam up? Okay, the, the, the provokers, those people who feel superior, tend to blow up and those who feel inferior tend to clam up. Do you pick arguments or, shall we say, do you look for opportunities to kind of prove your knowledge and Competence? Or do you avoid confrontation at all costs? Do you look down or criticise certain groups of individuals? Then you're one of those people who's trying to be superior. Or do you feel embarrassed around certain classes of kinds of people? Then you're one of those, then you're an envier, somebody who feels inferior. Do you think I would never have done what that person has done? then you're a provoker. Or do you think I could never accomplish what that person has done? Then you're an envier. It's a whole new self-image which is not based on comparison to others. Yeah, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit works in us to apply the gospel, the good news, to our self-perception and our view of others. He creates a whole new self-image which is not based, not based on comparison with others. So the gospel humbles the, the contestants, the competitors of this world. When you're about to compete, you're one of them, and you may have elements of both, preach the gospel to yourself. 
Just any of those bits of the gospel which, which remind you where you've come from. So maybe Ephesians 2. As for me, you can say, I was dead in my transgressions and sins in which I used to live when I followed the ways of the world and the kingdom of the air. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath. Or maybe you need to find a bit of a shorter verse than that to memorise and just remind you that all have sinned and, uh, and fall short of the glory of God. So when, you, when you're ready to compete, just stop and preach the gospel to yourself. But the gospel emboldens. And so when you're about to kind of back out of a confrontation because you think, well, I'm not worthy and it's not my place, or you find yourself um, envying that other people have more of you, then preach the gospel to yourself. Maybe um, uh, John 1.12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You're a child of God. Whatever it is, the gospel... Uh, brings down those who want to, want to feel superior and it lifts up those who are feeling inferior. But you need to get into the habit of just reminding yourself of gospel truths. And then when you've done that, you can, very briefly, you can help other people. If you're not comparing yourself uh, with other people, then you're in a position to gently minister. And so Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you spiritual people, should restore that person gently but watch yourselves or you also uh, may be tempted. When we say caught in a sin, we, we mean kind of overtaken by serious or persistent sin um, and something's come to light. An entangling sin. Sin has got the upper hand in someone else's life and it's come to light. And we're talking about relatively serious sin because if it's not serious, then love covers a multitude of sins. And that is one of the judgment calls you have to make. If it's a small sin, it's just covered. Okay, and you just let it go past. But there comes a point where somebody's got trapped, somebody's got caught uh, by, uh, by sin. And if you're a provoker, if you're one person who likes to look, feel superior, you will look down on them. And you will rejoice that you're not like them and that's not going to be of any help to them. If you're an inferior person, then, you might even, then you're liable to kind of back away. Because you think, no, I'm not of the same kind of status, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to speak into that, I can't take responsibility for that. You might even envy them for what they've done. But the spiritual response, Paul says, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person um, gently, but watching your own behaviour at the same time. And restore was a word which could be used of kind of putting a dis- something dislocated back into place. If you watch any of those um, programs on telly, you'll know that putting a dislocated shoulder or uh, back into places or, or, or a, is an extremely painful thing. It is an extremely painful thing, but in the long term, it is pain-reducing. And it restores function and it restores health. And you, because you're brothers and sisters, and because you're spiritual people, and have responsibility. If you see somebody who's, who's caught in a sin, that something is dislocated morally in their lives, then you have a responsibility to go and, uh, what do they call it? Do they call it reducing? A, I can't remember, a dislocation and getting it back into place. And that way, Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. I'm going to keep moving as quickly as I can, so you don't fall asleep in the heat. 
If you can get out from under the yoke of the law, the yoke that involves comparing yourself with other people, then you can stand close enough to get under the burden of another and help them carry it. I think that's a really helpful picture. If you're, if you're wearing the yoke of, of the law, then you're either going to be one of these people who feel superior, superior uh, I'm a great law keeper, or you're going to feel like you're a bit of a law failure. And either way, that makes you pretty useless to other people. But if you can throw away um, the yoke of the law, this, which involves almost inevitably comparing yourself with other people, then you can get under somebody else's burden, stand close enough with them because your yoke is not getting in the way. And you can, in a sense, yoke, themselves, yoke yourself to them to help them carry uh, whatever burden it might be. What are the burdens? Well, it's not just about people caught in sin. There are, there are burdens all around, aren't they? There might be somebody needs to renovate the house. Might be needs just somebody just raising the kids. It might be about sin, somebody avoiding specific long-standing sin. When you've put aside the yoke of the law, then you're free to walk close enough with somebody else to carry the burdens. I wonder what those burdens are. Maybe we'll just have a moment at the end, just for you to think that one through. Just think, well, who is, what are, what are the burdens? When I look around church, what burdens do I see? And actually, how can I, just, how can I throw off the law? How can I throw off any concern about uh, where my standing is and stand close to somebody enough to help them out? And ironically, when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ. I think that's a kind of delicious kind of irony. If you throw off the yoke of the law and the comparing, then you'll carry other people's burdens. Then actually what happens is you'll fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love people. Love your neighbour as yourself. How do we develop this kind of gospel self-image? Very briefly. Paul says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they, are de- they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. We need a kind of sober judgment of ourselves, a kind of testing of our own actions. And I think, I think it's a bit of a lost art. Because we spend most of our time comparing ourselves against other people. And it's not, a, it's not an objective standard. So let's say that everybody else in church is really poor at, let's say, gossip. And maybe you're slightly better than the rest, and then you'll think, I'm fantastic. When actually you're not. On the other hand, if everyone else is really good at keeping their anger in check, and you're just kind of slightly worse, you'll feel that you're rubbish when maybe you're not. So you need an objective standard. See, everyone has their own load, which is different from burdens. Their, their load is everyone has their own kind of limitations, everyone has their own background, um, everyone has their own set of sins, um, everyone that they struggle with, everyone has their own set of strengths. That's, that's your load. And Paul says you carry your own load. But you need an objective standard, so test yourself against Christ. Test yourself against Christ. It's, that's always going to be sobering. It's always going to be sobering, but, it's, but he, there is the objective standard. There is the place um, we would like to be. 
read through his life, come back to the Gospels. I'm sure you do in your readings every so often, but it's one of the reasons for coming back to the Gospels every so often. But also test yourself against yourself. Paul says, test your own actions. How far have you come? I think it's quite an interesting question just to pause and I, I don't know maybe you do this maybe you know when first uh, of January comes around you do this or maybe when birthdays come around you do this um, but you kind of think how far have I come in, in my Christian life have a look back find some point uh, in, in the year just to say where have I come from what, what, what was I like what has changed and then you can look back and say well Christ has changed me Jesus has worked in me he who began a good work in you all carried on but maybe equally you look back across a year and think, yeah, I'm much the same as I was last year. But if you can see that God has worked in you and a change has happened, then Paul says you can take, you can take pride. There is a proper pride. I can see what Jesus has done in me. I can, I can see, how I've, I can see how, I've, how I've changed. So Paul says get to grips with your own load. Understand your own load, your own strengths and weaknesses. Test yourself against her. Christ, and then you'll be ready for burden sharing with other people. So it's very simple and straightforward today, I hope, but these are the implications of this gospel. Sets you free. This is the law of Christ, Paul says. It's not a law that drives by guilt and fear. The gospel has set you free from guilt and fear. And therefore you don't need to be provoking or envying. You don't need to be kind of Uh, proving yourself you don't need to be feeling inadequate gospel set you free from comparing yourself to love others driven by God's love for you so get to grips with your load then you can get to grips with the burdens of others and I want you to have a think about that now I don't know what's in, your, what's in your backpack, what's in your load, the load that you just you have to carry. That's your responsibility. All kinds of, all kinds of things in there, aren't there? Um, the weaknesses that we have, the, the sins that we struggle with. Um, but equally, I just wonder, at some, some point you have to look around and think, um, what are the burdens people are carrying? And actually, there are, there are plenty, and everybody has something. And maybe I'll just pray now that the Spirit kind of like uh, keeps prompting us in each of these directions. Father God, please send your Spirit, that your Spirit might prompt us to, to be clear about our own load, what we're responsible for. Help us to test ourselves against Christ. And not against other people. Lord, set us free uh, from... Law righteousness, which drives us to comparison, set us free to be able to see other people's burdens and not just our own. Set us free to stand close enough that we can help them with their yoke. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.